There we go. Good morning. And some good news to, to share with everyone. First of all, that Jasmine has had her baby, which is very exciting for the Salamo family. She was born yesterday. Both mom and baby are healthy, and I'm sure we'll see her in the next week or so, or probably... That's not true. That never really... <laughs> Who knows? But everything is well, and so praise God for that. We also have people visiting from our church, our sister church in Sydney, I believe. So if, if you could stand up, because I wasn't, I wasn't able to get your names. So, but we want to recognize... I know that... Okay, there we go. Oh, popping up everywhere. <clears throat> Welcome. Glad to have you here. And uh, can you say your name, bro? Uh, my name is Jordan. Jordan. What's up, Jordan? Jordan. Jordan's here. And yourself? Sam. Sam. Oh, Sammy Coker. Yes. Hello, Sammy. And, uh, of course, also from Sydney, right? Moana. So you guys are just scouting out. Yeah. I see. That's good. That's good. Spies. And also... <laughs> And also, really exciting today is we'll see someone get baptized into Christ at, at, at 2.15, and that'll be Chris Lee Ismael. There she is. Of course, that's very exciting for Chris Lee and for the teens, but of course, Alberto and Joe Hill, it's so exciting for you guys and serving our teen ministry and then seeing your daughter become a disciple today. That's very exciting. So 215 out at Point Chev, is that correct? And if you haven't got the notice, bring, bring some food. We'll have a picnic out there. There's a beach there. So the weather will be nice. The weather says at about 2 p.m. the clouds will part, the sun will shine, and there'll be a baptism. That's, that's what's going to happen. If you have a Bible, turn to 1 Corinthians. We're studying out this book to really gain insight and to the church in Corinth, which was an ancient church with ancient problems, but funny enough, those problems are still relevant today, so we can learn heaps from the book of First Corinthians, and we'll look at three points this morning, starting in chapter 1, verse 18, but I'd like to pray for us and then read this passage together before we dive in and expose what God would want us to hear this morning. Let's pray together. God, we're, we're so very excited for all the great things that are happening in people's lives. We pray that you're with the Salamo family. It's very exciting news, God, and pray that you're with Jasmine and the baby. And so exciting to see Chris Lee baptized into Christ, God, this afternoon. We're so grateful for how you really open up people's eyes and, and, and hearts and minds to help them understand the gospel message. And we pray that's what happens this morning as we read your scriptures, that you open our eyes, you open our minds, you open our hearts so that we can follow your son more closely. We pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Also of note is our sister Hannah from Nelson, who was converted in the U.S. and, and moved back to New Zealand late last year. Pardon? Palmerston. So, yep, that's where she's from. Thank you. And she'll be moving to Auckland next week. So that'll make sure you can, can welcome her. Her name's Hannah. And also another Hannah in Wellington is studying the Bible, and she's the sister of Alex, who is, lives in Fiji. So if you can follow the flow chart, all that, but that's really exciting as well. Hannah, she's, uh, she's probably watching today on Facebook, so you can all say, hi, Hannah. Both Hannahs are probably watching, so why don't we say that just so they know that we know both Hannahs are out there. One, two, three. Hi. Fantastic. Hi, Hannahs. Hi, Hannahs. <laughs> hi, Hannahs. <laughs> Sounds like one word. 
All right, in verse 18 of chapter 1, let's, let's, let's look at the text here. Verse 18, for the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, the intelligence of the intelligent, I will frustrate. In verse 18, Paul and God really divides humanity into two halves. In Corinth, they were dividing themselves around specific leaders. I follow this guy, this guy, and that guy. God says, I'm only concerned in one division. Those who are saved, those who are perishing. That's how the Bible splits the field in half. And in verse 20, where is the wise person? Where is the teacher of the law? Where is the philosopher of this age? Has God not made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not know him, God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. Jews demand signs, and Greeks look for wisdom. But we, referring to himself and the apostles, preach Christ crucified. A stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles. But to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom and the weakness of God is stronger than human strength. God at his worst if that were even possible, is better than humanity at their best, is Paul's point. It continues in verse 26. Brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before him. It is because of him you are in Christ Jesus who has become for us wisdom from God. That is our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. Therefore, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. And Corinth, of course, is consumed with being wise and influential. And Paul says, look around your congregation. How many of you were actually wise and influential before you were converted? Not many of you. There were a few in the church in Corinth that were from influential backgrounds and had wealth, but not the whole church. So Paul says, look around, look at yourselves. You're an example of this principle. And in chapter 2, verse 1, And so it was with me, brothers and sisters, when I came to you, I did not come with eloquence or human wisdom, as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God. I didn't have a projector. I didn't have a screen. I didn't have any of that. I just came and I preached. For in verse 2, I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. It, it may sound like that's all Paul really talks about. Jesus crucified. Jesus crucified. But we know he spent 18 months in Corinth and he taught a wide variety of things. But his core essential message is Jesus has died for you. And so that's the essence of all of his teaching and his preaching. In verse 4, my message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power so that your faith might not rest on human wisdom, but on God's power. 
Now, all, up until this point, he's been talking negatively about wisdom. Wisdom is bad, it's from the world. And now he'll say, but we do talk about wisdom. But it's a God-taught wisdom. So in verse 6, we do, however, speak a message of wisdom among the mature, but not the wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing. No, we declare God's wisdom, a mystery that has been hidden and that God destined for our glory before time began. None of the rulers of this age understood it, for if they had, they would have not crucified the Lord of glory. However, as it is written, what no eye has seen, what no ear has heard, and what no human mind has conceived, the things God has prepared for those who love him. These are the things God has revealed to us by our deep training and learning and intellect. No, those are the things that God revealed to them by his spirit. The spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except their own spirit within them. In the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God except the spirit of God. What we have received is not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, so that we may understand what God has freely given us. This is what we speak, not in words taught by human wisdom, but in words taught by the spirit, explaining spiritual realities with spirit taught words. The person without the spirit does not accept the things that come from the spirit of God, but considers them foolishness and cannot understand them because they are discerned only through the spirit. The person with the Spirit makes judgment about all things, but such a person is not subject to merely human judgments. For who has known the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. So over and over, I, I found this passage quite difficult to really chew on for a while, and, and I prayerfully you'll find it fruitful and constructive this morning. But overall, if you read the Corinthians, there's a driving question. Paul asked the church, and it's basically, is grace changing your day-to-day -day life? Because when I look into the church, when I come into your church, I see people gathered in this division, in that division. I hear about lawsuits. I hear about sexual immorality. I hear about disorder. I hear about chaos. You say you're a church that believes in Jesus, but it's not evident in your daily life. Let me, let me instruct you on how the cross ought to actually change your day-to-day -day life. And so in the first four chapters, he talks about division that's going on in the church. And we've talked about that a little bit. And then he starts to talk about the cross. If, if you read his overall argument, it kind of sounds like a sidestep. Like, what is he talking about? You guys are disunified. Now let me tell you about the cross. That's kind of the flow of the argument. But there, there's actual reason for him because he thinks this is the solution to their division. Understanding the impact of the cross. So this morning, let's look at three quick points. Worldly wisdom, godly wisdom, and the source of godly wisdom. Worldly wisdom. In this passage here, Paul is basically against worldly wisdom. I mean, the word wisdom in this, in this chunk here occurs over 15 times, and mostly in a negative sense. Like, this is not the wisdom that we use, and not the wisdom of the world, and so on and so forth. And in verse 22, he talks about two groups of people that search for this wisdom. The Jews and the Greeks. He says, Jews demand signs, and Greeks look for wisdom. If you don't know anything about the Bible, the Jews are the people that grew up knowing about God. And when Jesus comes on the scene, they say to Jesus, 
Show me a magic trick to prove you're the Messiah. Do something that will help us believe in you. And when you do it, we'll follow you. We formed an idea of what you're supposed to be like. And unless you fit into that idea, we won't follow you. Show us a sign. That's all they do. Jesus, show us a sign. Do this, do that. And if he were to do that, they say, we'll follow you. That's their issue. Greeks, look for wisdom. If you know about Greek thought and culture, they thought gods could not feel. So when they hear about Jesus dying on a cross, that makes no sense at all to them. It's ridiculous. A God who suffers, that can't happen because gods cannot feel. It's part of the extension of why Islam says that, that this can't be true because Jesus couldn't have suffered because he was a God and he would, have, he would have cried to God and God would have heard him and he removed him from the cross because God cannot suffer. That's a, still, that's a thought still prevalent today. And so what happens is Jews and Greeks kind of form what Paul calls the world. Greek is anything non-Jewish. And so in, in the search for the world, they say either show us a sign or show us something that makes sense. And we'll believe it. In other words, they've developed their own criteria, their own standard, their own filter. And they say, if you fit into it, we'll follow it. We'll believe. I'll follow it. I mean, that's, that's kind of an arrogant assumption. I'll create a system. And if you don't fit into it, then I won't follow you. That's like the extreme epitome of arrogance, isn't it? Let, let, let me just create this system. And so that, and, and both of these guys, the Jews and the Greeks, refuse to follow because they've, they've established their own system. And they refuse to say, actually, God should probably establish this system. Not the way of the world. And I should listen to God. Later on in verse 18, he says, The message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. Again, that's that division of humanity that, that hears a message about a God dying and says, that can't happen. I need some evidence. I need some proof. I need something more than a story. That's foolish. But this says, that side of humanity is perishing. Later on in chapter 2, verse 6, he says something similar. We do, however, speak a message of wisdom among the mature, but not the wisdom of this age or this culture or this world. Well, the rulers of this age, who seem to be the spiritual principles in the world, who are coming to nothing. So Paul's view of anyone who establishes their own set of wisdom, their own set of criteria on which to judge God, they're perishing and coming to nothing. And so that's, that's, his, that's in essence what he's saying about Jews and Greeks. And, and so the question becomes, are they going to yield? Are they going to drop their system? Are they going to humble themselves? And are they going to hear about a God who came to die for them? That's the question involved with this crowd. When I was in college, I read lots of literature and lots of poems. And I occasionally read a poem every now and then. Not as much. But there's an author named T.S. Eliot. And he's a he was in the modern century, the 20th century. He passed away early, mid-1900s. But he wrote this poem called Courses from the Rock. I'd like to read you just an excerpt from it. Because it really drives at something he felt in our own error. And that I believe is what Paul is expressing in this passage as well. And here's what he says in the beginning of this poem. All our knowledge brings us nearer to our ignorance. That's very true, isn't it? All of our ignorance brings us nearer to death. 
But nearness to death, no nearer to God. Where is the life we have lost in living? Where is the wisdom we have lost in knowledge? Where is the knowledge we have lost in information? The cycles of heaven in 20 centuries bring us farther from God and nearer to the dust. What's he saying, man? This generation is consumed with knowing and give me some intellect and give me some knowledge and give me some understanding, but it doesn't bring you closer to God. In fact, it does the opposite. And that's a pagan poet saying all this learning, all this wisdom separates us further and further from God. That's the negative side of it, isn't it? Our culture, I mean, we can Google and research anything in a heartbeat because we're just consumed with knowing and there's an endless flow of information and fake information and figuring out which is fake and which is real. And, but that's, that's the culture, isn't it? Let me figure out how to be wise and it all moves us further and further away from God. Now what Paul is saying to the church is you need to distance yourself from that type of culture. There's a wisdom the world will brand as appealing and you'll want to believe it and you'll want to accept it, but it drives you further and further away from God. It's important if you're not a Christian and you are considering becoming a Christian, it's important to reflect on the way you actually think now. Because Jesus has an upside down mindset. And when you convert to Christianity, you think about things and live in a completely different way. It's important if you're a young Christian to be aware of how you thought. Because we all had a, a way of thinking that opposed God. And it's important to understand this so we've distanced ourselves further and further away from culture and closer and closer to God. I think it happens a lot in our youth. That's probably the most pronounced time, isn't it? Because if you're, if you're young, everybody's expectation of you, as Duncan was kind of alluding to, it kind of impacts you. If they're doing something cool, and that's the crowd I want to try to fit in with, then I'm probably going to do that as well. If they say something needs to be done, then I'm probably going to do that so I can be accepted by them. But they're all just creating a standard based on the world's wisdom that they're either living up to or not living up to. And, and, and if you think about it, that, that's kind of a, a bad way to live. That's imprisoned by someone else's thought system. It's like I would walk around insecure and change. Am I cool enough? Do I know enough? I'll never be cool enough. I'll never know enough because that expectation is always fleeting and never permanent. And so that, that, that's, that's how it works. And, and, once, and, and once we become Christians and we become older in our Christianity, there's, there's a temptation to think, I know how spiritual life ought to look like now. I'm a little bit older, I've read my Bible, I'm familiar with some concepts and some terms, and I'm familiar with how the structure should look like, I'm familiar with how leadership should look like, I'm familiar, I have all these opinions about what should happen in certain ministries, but yet, the power of the cross is not really changing your life on a day-to-day -day basis. That's what Paul is saying to the church here, actually. He said, you guys got all these opinions about what to do and how it should work, but your life's not changing. I'm not interested in opinions. I'm interested in how the cross is shaping and changing your life. That's Paul's question to the church in Corinth. That's God's question to us. Is do you gravitate more toward the wisdom of the world or to the wisdom of God? Point number two is godly wisdom. And this is a deep contrast. And, and God's wisdom is a source of ever-changing power. That's what the Bible will say. Look at verse 21. 
God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. What was preached. In this whole passage, Paul's talking about the cross. And so when Paul talks about the cross and the apostles talk about the cross and someone hears it, there's saving power. It saves those who believe. It's a foolish message a God dying. But when it's preached and someone hears it and they believe it, there's a saving power to it. That's what Paul's communicating here. In verse 23 and verse 24, he says, We, talking about himself and the apostles, preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles, but to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God. That's a word where we get the English word dynamite, dunamis. Cross, Christ, that's all powerful. That's where genuine, long-term power comes from. That's the power of God and the wisdom of God. And so for people hoping, like many today, for something irrefutable or something intellectually sounding or something very polished from start to finish, Paul says, You're looking in the wrong place. Because the message of the cross is foolish. It's a complete reversal of what we would expect and humanity expects, right? It's very similar to someone from New Zealand coming back after the World Cup and saying, guess what? The All Blacks lost the World Cup. That's not what you want to say. That's not what you want to trumpet around town. But that's the equivalent of Paul saying, God died on a cross for you. That's like the complete reversal of what everyone was expecting. I got great news. The New Zealand stock exchange has collapsed. If you're an investor, that's the worst news you could hear. If you're a kid, it's like your parents coming and saying, guess what? Christmas holiday is canceled. We're not going on holiday. It's the complete reversal of what you expect. All of that is similar to what Paul's message is. God died for you. No, that can't be true because God doesn't suffer. And I need something more intellectual and more convincing and more. I need more proof. Jesus died for you. It's an event that happened in history. It, It would blow the expectations of anyone unless they were really humble enough to say, Let me examine this by God's standards and not mine. Even more in verse 18 of chapter 1, Paul says this, The message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are, key word there, being saved. It is the power of God. Yes, you're saved when you repent and you get baptized and you believe the message, but there's this ongoing process of your life continuing to change from the power of the cross. Not how much you know, not how many Bible studies you've done, not how many times you've read the Bible or how many follow-up studies you've done or whatever. It's your life is continuing to change by the power of the cross. To those who are being saved, it is the power of God. This is polar opposite of the world's way of thinking. One of the movies that I liked as a kid because I'm white and I like basketball was White Man Can't Jump. You may not have seen this movie, but everybody kind of knows that, right? Everybody kind of knows white man can't jump. And so the story of this guy on the left, that's Woody Harrelson. Of course, his name in the movie is Billy Hoyle. Now, 
The, the funny thing about world systems is we create something, and if it doesn't meet that expectation, we automatically discredit it. If I heard somebody named Billy Hoyle was going to be on my basketball team, I think, no way do I want a guy named Billy Hoyle. <laughs> it doesn't sound like he could play basketball. But then when you see this guy in the movie, first, he's got a shirt, a T-shirt with a button-up T-shirt over it. Clue, anytime someone comes to play basketball in a button-up t-shirt, don't put them on your team. They obviously haven't played basketball before. He's got a tie-dyed hat on backwards. You look at his shorts and they look like togs. And then he's got these striped socks that he pulls up. He looks like a complete non-basketball player. Right? That, and that's, that's the whole essence of it. And, and they say, okay, you, they tell Wesley Snipes, you take Billy Hoyle. It's like, there's no way I'm taking Billy Hoyle. Look at this guy. He starts to make fun of him. There's no way on earth this guy can play basketball. And obviously the movie goes on. He's he's kind of a bit of a basketball player. Kind of reminds me of myself in some ways. (laughs) But the whole point is, like, I mean, there's no way in the world anybody would pick this guy based on worldly wisdom. That's the message Paul is saying. There's no way anybody would pick Jesus to die for humanity. It's the complete opposite of what everybody is thinking. And that's what Paul will say. When I came to you, I, didn't, I, I came with a button-up shirt and a hat backwards and tie-dye and shorts that looked like togs and mismatched socks. And That way you didn't put your faith in me but on the power of God. And I was weak and I was trembling and I wasn't trying to be polished. And Not that that's... A, an excuse to be sloppy because we should always present ourselves as a workman approved by God but it's not about what I say or don't say it's about is the cross changing my life and that's what you put your faith in yeah. and that's what Paul is saying to this church and if you read through the Bible there's example after example of that Israel one of the tiniest nations God says I'll take him he's got his hat on backwards he's got a button up shirt that guy's on my team why not Greece why not Rome the guys who flex muscle. No, I'll take Israel. You read through the Bible, it's over and over like that. The church in Corinth, Paul says, look around. I'll take this as my church. Over and over, God chooses the, the, the concept or the person that defies all expectations of worldly wisdom. There's a lot of freedom in that. I mean, if you attach yourself to the message of the cross and allow God to change your life through the power of the cross, you don't have to be the sharpest, you don't have to be the smartest, you don't have to be the swiftest. Your life just has to keep changing by the power of the cross. There's so much freedom in that. Otherwise, you're trying to live up to this expectation or to that expectation or to an expectation you think someone has of you or doesn't have of you. But if you just think, man, do I really understand the message of the cross? If you're a young person, you're not trying to impress your mates. You just say, hey, I believe Jesus died for me. I'm not trying to impress my team leaders. I just think Jesus died for me. I'm not trying to impress my parents. Jesus died for me. That's going to continue to change my life. It's important as a young leader, too, or leadership in general. I always think as a leader, I've got to have my life sorted. Every button buttoned up, every hair in place, every, you know fold of my sleeve every word has to come out polished so that I can look like I know what I'm doing when someone comes to me with a problem let me give them the counseling face (laughs) 
let me, let me try to sound like I know what I'm doing. When somebody asks me a question that I don't know of, instead of exposing my ignorance, let me say, let me think about that. Because I think people judge me based on that worldly wisdom. That's my own security. Yeah. Insecurity. But when I say, hey, Jesus died for me. Is my life changing? I'm not really concerned about what people think. Because it's not about having your life sorted out or looking the part. It's about the cross changing your life. That's important for us planting under the church as well in Wellington. People ask me, how are we going to do it? What's going to happen? Who's going to lead it? Who's going to finance it? Who's going to go? And I have no idea, to be honest. There's your answer. But I want to say, well, I've thought through a nice sound structure. It's a polished mechanism of step one, two, and three, and therefore the church will be planted. But I, you know what? It's going to be because of the power of the cross. God is going to raise up men and women. God is going to provide the money. God is going to provide the people. The power of the cross is what's going to change people's lives to want to go. Not any system or structure we put in place. And for older Christians, as, as, you, as you age in your discipleship, this would make you become more and more free. And our church is made up of a good bit of mature Christians. And the question is, is the cross really changing you on a day-to-day basis? So that the young people say, man, look how free they are. Look how unchained from the expectations of the church and the world. I want to be like that. They're focusing on godly wisdom. Lastly, the source of wisdom. The source of wisdom. Paul says, where does this all come from? And he says, we have received, what we have received is not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God. So that we may understand what God has freely given us. That's such an important idea. Because the people in Corinth said, this leader sounds good, he must be wise, therefore I'm going to follow him. Paul says, if he has any kind of wisdom, it's from God. Because the Spirit has revealed it to him. That's what this says. The Spirit who is from God so that we can understand what God has freely given us. You have the Spirit, which anybody who's a believer has, you have access to God's mind, to God's thoughts. That's the source of true godly wisdom. Now, you might think if I read my Bible and I study and I go to all these classes and I get able to have opportunities to speak, then I'll excel in wisdom. No, it's all from the Holy Spirit. And it comes from reading your Bible and focusing on the cross and understanding how it should shape your and my life. How many of you have seen these little 3D photos there? Why don't you take a look? And see how long it takes for you to discern the 3D image within that image there. When you think you have it, let me know. Tidal wave. Okay, I got it. I got it. Megan? Oh, it is a shark. Plus, this wasn't staged anyway because she's my wife. You might think, oh, you showed it to her in advance. I didn't. It is a shark. But so now that you know what it is, you could take a little bit of a longer time. One, one trick is to cross your eyes, actually. Yeah. But as, as soon as you see it, it often disappears again. And it takes a little bit of concentration and effort to kind of zone in and focus on it. For my life, I find this is similar to locking in on the cross. 
Not that I cross my eyes to look at the cross. But what I mean is it's, it's, it's always right there, but it takes a lot of focus and energy to surround everything else out, the expectations of the world, the worldly wisdom, and let me see the cross pop and make sense for my life. But then as soon as it starts to gain momentum and I start to be motivated by the cross, I lose sight of it. And then I got to focus on it again. I got to take communion again. And this is a big deal for every disciple, but believe me, speaking week to week, studying the Bible with countless people and being in countless sessions, I always have to go back. Let me make sure my motive is the cross. It's easy to slip it in. Let me, let me, man, there can be pressure to put on a good lesson or to project the power of the cross. There can be pressure to let me, let me have a great Bible study or project the power of the cross. To have a great counseling time or to project the power of the cross. And Paul says the source is not from anything you've trained or heard about. It's from the Holy Spirit. But it takes a lot of focus, effort, and energy to lock in on that image and keep it there. And that's what Paul is trying to do to the church in Corinth. I find this very encouraging as well because that means everybody that's a disciple of Jesus can understand what he's freely given you. I don't understand grace and this and that. Well, the Spirit's given you access into that. And you can freely understand it. All in all, that's not the conclusion. That's the announcement slide. All in all, the cross in this passage is the beginning of a changed life. That's what Paul says. This is where it all begins. Not in the wisdom of the world, in the power of the cross. And it doesn't end there. It's not about learning a variety of different things. It's about focusing on the cross because that's the power of us who are being saved. And it gives us the true motivation to live a life not concerned with what people think, not based on the expectations of the world, but because the Holy Spirit has given us the mind of Christ and we in turn can come in fear and trembling to the city of Auckland and the country of New Zealand and say, hey, we're not polished, we don't have it all together, we're not the smartest bunch, but here's a story that will change your life. The power of the cross. Amen.